What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast, the show where your host, the normal guy with a lazy eye, just a neighborly normal guy, lazy eye, Jared Magazine here, talks to a way cooler person with a way cooler story than just uh, the fact that I have a lazy eye. So today is no exception to that rule. We have an unbelievable episode with the director of brand over at my new favorite company, Cuts Clothing. Ethan Frame is in the building, a one-of-a-kind interview. I This was like a top five one for me. Ethan is an all-time, uh, just, we talk, like, I, I, I don't have enough good things to say about him. Like, first of all, we did this on a Saturday. He, <laughs> backstory to this interview, he, we were, we were slotted to do a specific time, and he texts me, he goes, dude, I, I was heading back from the gym and was going to get ready and get ready for this interview, but I locked my keys in my car while I was at the gym. So he had to wait for AAA to come let him in. We got the interview done. While that was happening, it was snowing here in Boston. He had he had beautiful skies in LA. A great interview. We talk about influencer marketing. We talk about how it can be the end-all be-all for brands, especially fashion, retail, e-commerce brands, and how it can be done really, really poorly. I think that's something that uh, a lot of people take for granted is influencers are great for getting brand recognition. They have a lot of followers, so the page views are good. But if it's not genuine, it can come off really, really fake. And so we have some great stories to be shared in this interview on influencer marketing. We talk a lot about Cuts Clothing, my new favorite brand. I discovered them during all this pandemic. I needed a cool, nice, form-fitting shirt to wear that it wasn't just a feeling like a t-shirt, but if you're if it, like if you're a big t-shirt guy like me, you gotta go check out Cuts Clothing. This is not an ad. This is all seriousness. It's an it's one of a kind shirt. Uh, GQ calls it the only shirt worth wearing, and I and I completely agree. So that's enough of me chatting about this. I don't want to give away too much in this inter- of this interview. Here is one of a kind interview with Ethan Frame. This is the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast, a true eye-opening experience. All right, everybody, we have another special guest on the podcast. Ethan Frame is the brand director at Cuts Clothing. Cuts are the only shirt worth wearing as seen on stars like Patrick Mahomes, the entire NBA bubble, and hundreds of other stars and athletes. And if you're watching this right now, we got plenty of our cuts on here on the podcast. Ethan, thank you so much yes, for joining us today. Welcome to the welcome to the podcast. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm stoked for this interview. Um, so we're recording this on the Saturday after Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Have you yeah. had some time to decompress or is it still full throttle over there? Um, yeah, I actually have had some time to decompress. I think what really benefited towards the decompression was actually having a really, really, really strong Black Friday. You know, we yeah. came out of it. The entire sale period went extremely well. We were hitting above our projections dang near every day. So uh, yeah, it felt good to kind of come out of the sale and be able to like relax a little bit and feel like, okay, you know, we did our work, you know, it was biggest, it's like our, it's like our Super Bowl, you know? Yeah, Q4. Yeah, exactly, crazy. exactly, exactly. Um, do you have like, I've, having worked in fashion and e-commerce for quite some time now, do you have any like wild Black Friday, Cyber Monday stories? Oh, oh yeah, you name it. I mean, like, I don't know if you want to t- touch on like where I was at previously before this, but um, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into, yeah. but I've had instances where like the discounting stopped working because when you switch a, a website over, 
to Black Friday time and it's like, okay, it's, you know, turn the sale on. There's so yeah. much that goes into it. It's like a two hour process. And if one little thing messes up or if the checkout cart is broken or people aren't able to like get the discount that they were like they needed or that we were advertising for the sale, like so many things can go wrong. So this one year, like right when Black Friday started, we flipped on the sale, things were going good. And then about an hour into it, uh, the discounts were not applying. People were like just going crazy over our oh, customer man. service. So it was not a good, not a good deal. And then this most recent one, we had an issue with Facebook where our ad spend account got turned off uh, in the middle of Black Friday. Yeah, yeah. I think it was at nighttime. <laughs> and so we were like reaching out to Facebook, like, what's going on? What's going on? But it turns out it was a, a spend cap, something where, you know, they, they throttle spend if, if you've never spent that much on Facebook ad platform before. Um, yeah. So that scared us, though, because we were doing really well. And then all of a sudden it just drops to zero. So yeah. a little panic back. Yeah, I feel like it's, yeah, like to your point, like the Super Bowl analogy is perfect because there's a lot of high highs and a lot of low lows and some very suspenseful moments for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so before we dive into everything going on at Cuts and we'll, we'll definitely get around to other things that you were working on before then, we like a, have a saying on our show, every story has a beginning. So I want to take it back a little bit. You grew up sure. in the Bay Area, right? Yeah. Now, you're, now you're down in LA. What was life like in the, in, uh, the Frame household growing up? Bay Area was awesome, man. I loved it. And all my friends know that I will tout it to this day. Like I'll wear my San Francisco Giants hat. I'll always rep, right. like be like repping the Bay Area. You know, that's just the thing. When you're from the Bay, I think you're kind of proud of it. Um, but growing up in the frame household was, I had a great childhood, you know, I mean, there's every family has their sorts of adversity and whatnot. And I guess mm. you could say mine was like, I grew up with a brother with special needs. So that kind of like really impacted, you know, who I am and how I see the world and how I treat others and whatnot. And so um, other than that, I mean, I had a great life growing up. I played sports. I uh, had a good college. We had a really good school system uh, that got me into a good college, went to San Diego mm -hmm. State. But uh, I, I'm super thankful for what my parents provided me and like what I was able to, you know, achieve because of like their blessings and the things that they provided for myself, my sister and my brother. Um, but other than that, it was, it was great. I yeah. loved it. Yeah. So what made the move to SoCal? Why, why San Diego state? Why not stay in the Bay area? If you're so, if you're so Bay area. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I think personally, I think when you're 17 years old and you're trying to decide what college you want to go to, that's a big decision that you don't really know, I guess, where to go. And so no, I always definitely. thought I was going to go to like Boulder, UC Santa Barbara, for some reasons. I don't know why I just identify with those schools. I was like, I want to go there. Yeah. But when we were doing our, our college campus rounds, you know, I was uh, touring them with my mom. She was like, let's go, you know, we'd have to check out more campuses. Let's do it. And I went to San Diego State and I'm a big fitness guy. I love fitness exercising. Uh, ever since I got my license and drove to the gym for the first time, I was like, I, I fell in love, you know, so the, the weight room has more or less been my form of meditation. So when we were touring San Diego State, I remember walking in, finishing up the tour. And then the last place they brought us was the gym. And it was like huge. And I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, like I want to go here. Not to mention the girls were beautiful. The weather was amazing. And <laughs> yeah, what's a bunch the complaint about San Diego? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that's what originally brought me down to SoCal and uh, have been down here ever since, besides a brief stint when I moved home for about eight months um, in, in my life story, you could say, because I was thinking I was going to go back and work in tech for a little bit. Yeah. And San Francisco is, is the home Correct. of tech for sure. So, right. Right. But so you went to San Diego state and you studied business and administration, entrepreneurship, you graduated in 2013, really, I would say in the boom of social media, I would think yep. like that's when really Instagram and Snapchat were really taking off. You could say MySpace was there, but it just wasn't sure. the same. Sure. What was the goal after graduating college? What did you want to get into right off the bat? So actually my senior year 
I, I've always been someone that likes to tinker. I've always been mm. someone that likes to just dive into things and figure stuff out. I taught myself like a life, somewhat of computer programming when I was super little, like I was messing around with HTML. I was the kid that would customize his MySpace, like <laughs> to the point where you couldn't even tell it was a standard MySpace layout. Yeah. So um, the reason I'm explaining that is because I just fell in love with tech and all things like, you know, mobile applications and wireframing and this and that. And so senior year, I had this idea. I might have even been towards the end of junior year, but I had this idea for a mobile application that was related to uh, essentially a photo sharing app that was all location-based. Um, and I started really just working on it and just like mocking up all these parts. I made like a working prototype, you know, on my phone. And then I showed it to this uh, lady. Her name was um, Kathy Poocher at the San Diego State. She was the director of the Zon Center, which is their uh, business incubator, essentially, you know, so where they can take companies or kids with ideas and kind of like support them, give them the resources they need. It has an office space, what what have you. Right. Uh, shoot, they loved it because, yeah, like you said, this was the uh, social media boom. Snapchat was taken off. Instagram was taken off. And they saw my idea and they, you know, I don't think anyone necessarily knew whether or not it was going to be something or not, but because it was such a hot time and anyone was like, oh my gosh, an app idea, this, yes, it sounds great. Like, let's, right. let's go after it. So I was, I got into the, uh, the Zon Center, the business uh, incubator and was in there for about eight months, but this was also right when I graduated. And so this period of time when I thought I was going to be like doing tech stuff, you know, working in tech sure. and it ended up just, I, I got, I brought on a co-founder, but we were just a little bit too in our, over our heads. We couldn't find good developer work, even though the idea was there. And we just kind of didn't know what route to take it. The idea in and of itself, I still think is great. Um, and him and I always are sending messages back to one another, like, hey, look at this app. It's kind of like what we were doing or look at this right. one. Right. Uh, but that's essentially what happened right after college. I was really focused on that. And once we decided to kind of close the books on that chapter and realize, you know, maybe we're a little bit in over our heads here, um, we, that's when I moved to the Bay Area and kind of just for the, the little while was applying to jobs and got a, got a job in a restaurant. And then, you know what, I spent like eight months there and I was like, you know what, I don't want to be up here. I don't think I, I, I want to go back to San Diego where all my friends are right. and ended up getting a job back down in San Diego, which kind of started my transition into the digital marketing realm and mm -hmm. which led me to e-commerce and, and where I'm at today. Yeah, I wanted to 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 kind of backpedal a little bit about and talk a little bit about niche and okay. and, fi and finding that just a little bit. But so so to your point, like you said earlier, like when you're 17 years old deciding on a college, that's a big mm -hmm. decision and one probably mm -hmm. 17 year olds aren't keen on making right away, but they have to yeah. make it in the right. similar sense, right? When you graduate college, you're like, what, what do I do? And then so when you want to start your own business and, and kind of like to your point earlier, maybe biting off more than you could chew, what kind of advice do you have? for young entrepreneurs, either coming out of college, dropping out of college and starting a business to really like get started and, and make the right decisions before, you know, it gets a little too crazy. I would say probably one of the biggest takeaways that I learned just after self-reflection from that all. And yes, like, uh, like you mentioned, the app's name was niche or niche. Uh, essentially everyone had their own personal little niche, their space. So if you lived in an apartment with your buddies, Every single photo that you took there with your friends or the, everyone that lived there could essentially get uploaded into this location-based niche. And my idea was 10 years down the line, you'd be able to like look on a map in the app and kind of see all these little niches. One that you had maybe at your, your childhood home, one that you had uh, in the fraternity house with your friends, one okay. at your office space. And everyone that was a part of that, we would be able to go scroll back and kind of see a curated album that was all had one thing that was in common there was the people that you shared it with and the place. So it was essentially kind of like a private photo album. This was when privacy was a really big thing. Snapchat was booming because it was like, hey, they disappear. It's not out there in the world for everyone to see. 
So this was essentially taking on that, but applying the, the component of location to it, which I think is still a very powerful thing. Location is still one of the most driving forces of a lot of social media, like, oh, I checked in here or we're going there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but the advice I would probably give is focus on what matters. Focus on the things that, oh, I have someone dropping off mail. Uh, focus on the things that matter and try not to get too overwhelmed with the big picture long stuff. Uh, that's what I think what I did. I, I was like, Oh, but what about this feature that we're going to come out with in v2 it's like you know what you know put the horse blinders on develop an mvp which is essentially a minimum viable product yeah and weirdly do all the things that they kind of teach you in, in business marketing classes it's like a do surveys don't assume that everyone is going to want your product just because you think it's a genius idea what people say they want and what they actually want are completely different things so take that into account uh you know, write up a formal business plan and as lame as that sounds like, how are you going to make money? What's your monetization yeah. model? You know, that's something you have to be thinking about. And that's something I kind of ignored. I was like, no, I just want to build an amazing app that people kind of want to gravitate to. And then the money will come. That's true. But at the same time, I wasn't making money when I was, you know, uh, doing this app. I was yeah. uh, kind of actually going, <laughs> I was just getting, making money off Bitcoin back then, to be honest. Like I was just wow. kind of like hacking around with Bitcoin stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that would probably be my biggest advice is don't let anyone tell you that it's not possible or that you can't do it. And then you probably just got to put one foot in front of the other uh, and, and go day by day. Because there was times I felt super overwhelmed, felt like I was in over my head. But, you know, Definitely. I came out of it with a lot of experience and I did have a lot to show for it. Uh, we, 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 we brought it pretty far, but, you know, it's, it was a crowded space at the time and it still is today. Definitely. Yeah, no, it's funny you brought up surveys. I, I before getting into sales after graduation, I was I studied marketing at Providence. And like I think every project we did, it was like we had to do a survey. And it, it, yeah. the, the marketing students got so much flack. It was like that time of the year. If it was like during five, like right before finals, right. Like, can you please do my survey? Please, please, please. Right, right. They are so important. And you're so right. Like just because you think it's the, the best thing since sliced bread doesn't mean the whole world's gonna think the exact same thing. Right, right. You learn a lot from it. You learn so much from just like, you know, asking your target audience questions about, you know, what you're trying to invest in and what you're trying to put your time into. Exactly. All right. So in 2015, uh, you joined at the time this hot new watch and accessory company called Movement. Now it's kind of yeah. a, kind of a big deal now. Um, yeah. You started there as an acquisition coordinator. Uh, mm -hmm. What was that like when you first started at Movement and joined that real startup community? Right, right. So it was one the best thing that probably could have ever happened to me. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to thank my good friend, Blake Pinsker, who uh, was there probably about a year before I was. And if you want, I can go into a little backstory of how I ended up there. Uh, but essentially went to school with a bunch of guys in San Diego state. We have a very competitive, you know, we were all in a fraternity together. We're all competitive with one another, but we also support one another. Yeah. And I was working in San Diego uh, at this, essentially you could call it a digital marketing, marketing agency. And I remember hitting up Blake, who at the time was the director of brand there and being like, yo, man, I love what you're doing at Movement. I see what you guys are, or I see what you're doing. Like, I, if there's anything I can ever help with, you know, let me know. Or if there's ever any openings, let me know. Mm -hmm. He replies back. He's like, thanks so much, man. Uh, you know, absolutely. I'll always keep you in mind. But right now, I think we're just a little too small. We're not quite ready to bring on some more people yet. And I was like, no worries. Just want to, you know, put my foot in the door. Just ask. Sure. And he, he hits me up. I think like. Two or three weeks later, he's like, <laughs> never mind. Uh, we need you. We think we need you. Jake's going to give you a call. Jake was the founder. Jake's going to give you a call in a couple of days and talk over the role. And so I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. So I get yeah. on a call with Jake, kind of let him know that the things that I had, the skills I'd picked up and how I was just like a self-starter. A lot of my computer knowledge, a lot of my just 
practical knowledge in the space was essentially self-taught. And uh, I talked to him a little bit about that, talked to him about how I learned some media buying strategies, excuse me, media buying strategies and new click-through rate, new CPC, new all the basics of that. Um, and he's like, great, uh, can you start December 1st? I think this was, or November 1st. And yeah. this must've been like halfway through October. And I was like, screw it. So I packed up my things, like moved up to LA, wow. uh, got an apartment by myself and started working at Movement. And the early days were awesome because it was a bunch of 22, 23, 24 year old kids all in this office. There must've been like 10 of us at the time. Yeah. Uh, kind of just building this company that we had no idea how much impact we were leaving and how much how much people were really paying attention to us uh it was it was wild it, it's, it's wild it, it it really is and seeing those types of you know fashion startups become what they are today it is quite incredible and before you you left for cuts you were the senior manager of influencer marketing and business development. So can we talk a little bit about influencer marketing? For I feel like it was something 10 years ago, no one ever talked about. No one, like what was influencer marketing? And now it's, I feel like it's almost required in branding. Do you, right. do you, do you see like, do you see that that might be, do companies today really need to have sort of an influencer marketing, at least idea or kind of a, a, at least a plan for something like that? I'm a little partial, so I'm yeah. going to say yes. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I mean, just to even dive into when I first got to movement, I kind of walk you through the whole, how I got started and all the other things that I was in. So when I was doing acquisition court, when I was acquisition coordinator, it was entry level position. Um, <laughs> Jake tells me, he's like, all right, so we wanted launching podcasts. I need someone to, cause he was sitting on most of the agency calls too. He's like, I want, I want us to launch on podcasts. I want, uh, if you can take over the paid search agency, uh, I also want to get us established on a bunch of direct deals with people. Actually, that was my doing, but <laughs> essentially I thought I was going to come on to run on Taboola and Outbrain, which are native ad networks. And if you've never known, if you don't know what those are called, go back like five, six, seven years when you're like on yahoo.com or AOL.com. And right. there's that little widget that says from around the web or suggested stories. And there could be some gimmicky stuff in there that says 99 times Paris Hilton. You wouldn't believe Paris Hilton did this. Do you know those yeah. like, Super clickbaity articles. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that well, that wasn't what my previous job was uh, before movement. Uh, we were writing those and like, okay. generating ad revenue off off those galleries. So I learned a lot about buying media there. So I yeah. thought I was going to be coming up to do that, but I ended up doing podcast, uh, overseeing the paid search agency, and a, a handful of other acquisition channels, basically. And influencer was not really a thing back then. We had a couple people that were kind of outreaching to people on Instagram. Yeah. They were pretty much saying we were bootstrapped. We had no money at all. We had to find our content to fill the social feed and to, you know, post emails and whatnot. So we essentially were like, you know, sitting around a table and the conversation, I guess you could say went like this. Well, this person's got, you know, we've got no money. We're not going to pay an ad agency. We're not going to pay thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get content created. Right. This person on Instagram has got like 30,000 followers and they take really awesome photos. Like, I wonder if we can send them a watch and you know, he's in Iceland, but send him a watch and he can take some awesome photos for us. And that model turned out to work and it worked really well. One, because that was totally new. Uh, it was a foreign thing for people and creators on Instagram back then. They're like, hell yeah, I can get free product just for shooting a photo. Yep. Like, absolutely. <laughs> and they were coming back awesome. These photos right. were amazing. You know, the ones where they hold the watch and like there's a scenic backdrop right behind them. There's a, you know, whether it's a glacier or a waterfall or, you know, they've got stuff in Hawaii, but then we also found fashion influencers too, people that were just really focused on style. Mm -hmm. We found some automotive guys, we found a ton. So it really primarily started out as a content uh, play. We were trying to get content to fill the feed. 
Sure. And then I guess you could say the conversation went from, Hey, I wonder if we give one of these guys like a promo code, if, you know, they would share it with their audience, you know, uh, and, and promote about promote it that way. And lo and behold, man, like it was like shooting fish in a barrel back then. I swear to God, yeah. that's kind of an aggressive analogy, but no, one person would post <laughs> with like 15,000 followers, 40,000 followers. And we'd get like 80 sales from it, which is like unheard of right now. You know, like yeah. that's for, especially an audience that size, that that's low. So that was kind of the beginning of influencer marketing for us. And I, I sat back there, you know, cause I was really big into data. I loved, you know, making data informed decisions with all the other channels I was doing. I had never bought podcast media before, but I figured it out. Mm-hmm. We were getting Joe Rogan for $1,750, $1,750, which now he's like probably $25,000 a spot, maybe more. Easily. Yeah. So we were one of the first in the podcast space too. Um, and I think that's mainly because we were just this young brand that was trying everything and we had really good imagery and people like were, were looking at us. And so we were just trying everything we could. We wanted to be the first. So yeah. when it comes to influencer, I started noticing this was working and we had a couple girls on the team and, and one gentleman, his name was Armando, um, Armando, Tori and Kia. They were the, the three. I got to, got to shout my homies out, you know, of course. Yeah. 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 Um, they were the ones that were doing a lot of the outreach with the influencers. And I was sitting back like observing that. And I was like, all right, we need to find a way to track this. We need to find a way to put data behind this so we can scale this channel. And so I had them every single time that we wanted to work with an influencer, they had to fill up this, fill in these columns in a spreadsheet that was uh, the influencer's handle, what their promo code was, what their gender was, what category we put them in. Are they health and fitness? Are they automotive? Are they yeah. a mommy blogger? Are they entertainment? Are they celebrity? You name it down to things like where did we find the influencer? Like we found it, our, found them ourselves. Did we find them through an agency because agencies were starting to pop up and represent these people, a variety of different things. And that way it allowed me to be like, oh, and what, what platform they were on, Instagram, mm-hmm. YouTube, uh, you name it. Right. And that allowed us to be like, oh, look at this. The, the automotive YouTube guys are really taking off right now. And same with fitness. Fitness was absolutely crushing it for us. For some reason, that category, people really, just liked our watches. They liked the product we were selling. So that allowed us to double down in it instead of just shooting blanks and trying to figure out, you know, which guy to work with. We knew we had data to support like, Hey, these fitness YouTubers are absolutely outperforming everyone three to one. Let's double down there. Um, And so that was the early stages of it. And it was all managed and tracked in spreadsheets. And it was a headache because the team expanded. We had I'm not kidding when I say exponential growth, it went from like 50 orders the first month to like 150 orders all tied to an influencer code then to like 300 then to 400 then we were in the thousands of orders a month just from influencer outreach and uh it was it was wild as it was happening because we didn't really i didn't really understand that we were essentially writing the book on influencer marketing but lo and behold soon enough i had uh jake our founder was connecting me with people fellow brands left and right saying Hey man, can you talk to so-and-so about influencer stuff or like, Hey, they want to get started and figure out how to launch their program. So I was soon became, I was like, Holy cow, like people like really value my opinion on this stuff. And that's when I think I started to realize like we were one of the first in the game to do it alongside yeah. a few others. Jim shark was very early, very, very, very early. Um, sure. there's a, there's a handful, you know, but, uh, that's, that's kind of how we got started into there. And I, uh, continued to build out the channel, started pursuing Twitch, uh, started pursuing TikTok. And because I saw those as emerging platforms that were very, I guess you could say they were green in terms of the amounts of brands that were in there uh, trying to secure deals. Instagram, very crowded, very noisy. YouTube still has a bunch of opportunity there, but it's more expensive for right reasons. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's essentially the the short form version of, you know, how we got started in Influencer. 
Yeah. And, and I think influencer marketing, it can be done very well and it can be done very poorly. I think I agree. nowadays it's because to your point, it seems like every brand is doing some form of it. You see some really like forced influencer marketing campaigns. And then you Correct. see ones like David Dobrik and SeatGeek. And yeah. we've talked about this the on Teslas. the podcast before. And Tesla is like, SeatGeek hasn't said <clears throat> anything like, you know, t- like he literally says one thing about SeatGeek and then it's, right. I'm giving away a Tesla. And still right. SeatGeek is st- seeing the incredible growth. So like, it's kind of like you've been talking about it, but like what makes it not seem so forced and more of a like, okay, I actually want to get behind this influencer. It's someone right. I follow and it's a brand they believe in. Honestly, man, it's, it's, there's one word that summarizes it all, but it's authenticity mm-hmm. and it's authenticity on both fronts. I know plenty of brands that really just want to do it. It's a volume play for them. It's they'll reach out to any influencer and they'll, depending on where they are, what kind of brand they are and how much money they have, they'll pay exorbitant amounts or they'll negotiate poorly and just kind of give the influencer a bad taste, vice versa. There's so many influencers that will accept any brand deal that comes their way, no matter if it's relevant to them or their audience. And it, transcends in the way they talk about it you know it's you know they can tell them this is what I do every morning when I wake up and it's like I haven't seen you talk about that thing once in your life on your right. story right. or on your post so I can and people see right through it I don't know how yes. some people don't identify you you know when you're looking at something like this was a lazy half-assed excuse my language attempt at you know trying to promote a product so, yeah yeah exactly yeah and that's what gives it a bad name. But if you find those true, genuine connections, those people that really, really, really are proponents of the brand and want to give it their all, the negotiations become so much easier. The, the ad copy, if you will, mm. uh, tr- comes through more naturally. Um, and it really is a genuine partnership because, you know, it feels the audience can tell, oh, this is absolutely something I feel like they've been using a while. Or it, even if it's not, maybe it's something they were just introduced to because the brand reached out to them. Right. I know that this falls up, you know, their alley and it's something that they would they would be about and you know those that continue to post about it as a, instead of just oh it's the 10th of the month at 2 p.m. I got to do my, you know, post for this brand, you know, that's right. that's what I hate and that's what I hate about influencer marketing and that it it can have that bad light but I love influencer marketing if it's done right, you know, and, you know and I it makes me cringe when I see it it, it done improperly. Same. And, and like, it's, it, it gets so crowded to your point earlier, like Instagram, it almost feels like every, every influencer's second post is, or even like stories, it just seems like ad reads at this point. But, you know, right. I, I would, I would be remiss if I, my, my 65 year old father, who is probably one of the oldest that listens to this podcast, how would you okay. define an influencer? Cause he's probably sitting there being like, I don't know what, the, what he's talking about. Cause yeah. I, I, you could, you could say like it's anyone with 10,000 followers, but uh-huh. you know, I don't think that's the, the best answer for something like that. Right. Actually, when I give my definition of an influencer, I say it doesn't even matter what their follower count is. You yeah. could be an influencer. I could be an influencer. Anyone that has uh, an opinion and, and is held in some sort of regard or has trust with their audience has the ability to influence them. Um, if we are talking about in the actual social media terms of an influencer, of course, it's someone that usually has a notable following. Um, they're looked to for their advice, their information, whatever it is, their category or their genre is, whether you know, they're, you're giving um, cooking advice, diet right. advice, health advice, you know anything you want, um, how to fix your car, um, or just someone that has a really interesting life. Like some of these guys that have pretty awesome cars that they work on them all day long in the garage and they're out racing them. Some people love that. That's entertainment, but it's someone that, you know, has a pretty notable following that, uh, has an engaged audience, I think is the key. And the one differentiator I'll say is, uh, what it makes a good influencer. It's so it's the person that is not afraid you know, let me back up. What makes a good influencer? It's not necessarily what their feed looks like. So 
I've seen, I've worked with people or other brands and like they were showing me some of the influencers they're thinking about working with. And I looked down the feed and I was like, okay, this is cool. Like from an aesthetic perspective, this is a beautiful feed. You know what I mean? It yeah. just, the colors are matching. It just yeah. looks like it flows super well. Like the person is obviously beautiful, whomever it is, you know, but I, I, I start to like maybe go through their highlight reels and I, and then other parts of their captions, the things they're writing and if they're engaging with their fans and I go, you know, why do you like this person so much? And they, and they tell me, I mean, just look, it looks like they can make us great content. And I'm like, well, that's true. I, I yeah. don't doubt their ability to take a good photo, but if you're right. looking for that selling power, if you're looking for that authentic connection with an audience, I was like, I personally don't see it. I want someone who's on their stories every single day. Like this is what I always say, someone that wakes up, talks to their audience and is like, you guys, I just woke up with the biggest zit on my face. And I say that <laughs> because it's relatable. People yeah. love that. They want someone that doesn't feel untouchable. Of course, we're going to follow those people, those, those people that just, oh my God, they have a perfect life, all this yeah, and that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. The, the person you relate to and the person that you end up, I, I guess, vibing with the most, it's always that person that opens up about their personal life or, you know, is not afraid to call out that they have a zit on their face. It's like, right. oh my gosh. Versus the person that tries to hide every imperfection and make it look as if they have this perfect life or someone that doesn't respond to their fans in the DMs or comments. So, of course, the aesthetic of the page is one thing I look for, but far more important is, does this person actually have like some sort of interaction with their audience? Do they have a relationship with them? Does it look like they're talking to them um, instead of just having their Instagram be a highlight reel, if you will? Yeah, that's the perfect analogy is Instagram is a highlight reel, but if you show right. off this authenticity throughout it, then it's a little bit more relatable rather than just exactly the perfect feed. So where do you see the future of influencer marketing headed? Uh, in a more literal sense, I think it's going to be with more nano and micro influencers in terms of performance marketing, in terms of trying to get a sale, someone that's trying to drive a sale or drive some sort of conversion. Um, I think it's just, I think it need, there's going to be a rebalancing soon enough. I think that there's rates that are being charged way too high um, mm -hmm. by, by influencers and brands and agencies. And I think there are brands out there that are paying those rates because they might be a bigger corporation that's willing to do that. But I think there's going to be a, things are going to shift a little bit. I think while it is in a heyday right now, and I do not think it'll ever disappear, um, at least in the form that we know it. I think that it'll, things will kind of like settle back down. Maybe all the people that are out there trying to be influencers won't be as prominent because, you know, the glory days will have been over, but yeah. there will still be the, you know, those folks that want to be an influencer. Although I try and tell people don't try to be an influencer, just be yourself and share your message with the world. And with that comes influence. Um, so where do I think it's going to be? Um, is that what, sorry, was that the question? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or the future. Yeah, exactly. The future, the future of influencer marketing. I think it's just going to spread to more channels. I think it's going to yeah. mean I've, I'm, I'm really bullish on Twitch. I'm not running on it right now at, at, at cuts because I'm, officially i'm still working on establishing our core group of community members and influencers but at movement when we were a little bit more established i had you know worked on it for four plus years like twitch and tiktok were the next frontier so i think yeah. there's going to be a lot of uh a lot more of a shift towards people going there and i think people are going to focus a lot more on authenticity and really trying to find the, the a good influencer you know as these teams get built out on a marketing team there was no I don't think there was any really positions about five, six, seven years ago, right. influencer marketing team, you know, or that as a channel. So I think people are going to know how to hire better for it. They're going to know what's, they're going to know what to look for, not only in the employees, but in those that are working on the team, they're going to know what to look for in an influencer. So I think, uh, I think it'll just be rebalanced a little bit. And that's not the word that I want to use. I'm trying to figure out what that perfect word is, right. um, but things will settle back down. Um, it'll always be there. 
I think hopefully we can paint a better picture for it because I think people have like a little sour taste in their mouth where they're like, sure. oh yeah, you get you usually get burned on a deal. You pay you know 50 grand for this and that nothing ever happens. I've got quite the story about that. I can share a little bit, but uh, in the early sure, days yeah. when we when we thought you know, let's try and get our name attached to one of the biggest people that we know in the world that, you know, it, I'll say it's one of the most more famous families, you know, last name starts with a J. If you can have any idea. Um, there, yep. <laughs> yep. You're getting there. Okay. Um, yeah. We ended up paying one of them multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars for a post that <laughs> I'll tell you the story. Yeah. Yeah. That essentially the world, the worst it could not have gone worse. Not only was just the negotiation and just the, the whole facilitation of that deal difficult, but mm -hmm. I don't know. Instagram has only gone down like what, two or three times realistically globally, like yep. shut down. Yep. The day that our post goes up, oh. 20 minutes later, Instagram shuts down and we're like, why is Instagram off? Why is it not working? And we were like, there's no way we're going to be able to convince them to do another post. Like we're freaking out. We, we, we were oh like, this God. is in 2017, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Maybe it was 2016. I don't even remember. Um, and so that just was a total flop. I think we, we ended up getting them, asking them to post it again. Mm -hmm. One of the sisters, I'll say it, you know, Kylie. And um, <laughs> she did, but then like, it was a crappier photo. It wasn't yeah. like edited how we wanted. The caption yeah. didn't say what we wanted. And then she yeah. ended up posting something an hour later, which totally suppressed the reach of that first one. So it was just a big like mess. And so that was funny in the office. We had like an internal battle. We're like, should we do it? No, let's not do it. Like, yeah, you know, we're never going to get that many eyeballs. Like, so lesson learned, lesson yeah. learned on that one. Yeah. I love that. That's a, that is a wild story. Yeah. To your point, like when has Instagram ever shut down and it only ever shuts down when you need it to not. <laughs> right. In that case, we absolutely needed it. We had a, a few hundred thousand reasons to need it. Exactly. All right. So let's shift gears now to my new favorite company here in 2020 cuts clothing. When did Heck you yeah. first hear of cuts? Probably the day it was thought of. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you, so you my roommate, Steven, right? Yeah. Yeah. My former roommate, Steven, also one of my best friends. Uh, we were, we met in college at San Diego State. Again, another one of the fraternity members that um, is a good friend of mine. And when I had moved up to Los Angeles to start working at Movement, he, we were living together in San Diego. He mm -hmm. moved up to Washington where he's from um, with this crazy idea that he told me about about you know starting this, this shirt business, a uh, shirt company called Cuts. And he, the reason he moved home was because he wanted to just save some money, also work with his dad um, while he could do that, but then do cuts in the nighttime, you know, uh, on the off hours. And throughout that entire first year of the of Cuts as a business, when I was um, still living in LA, obviously working a movement I had just started, he would be coming down, crashing on my couch for sometimes a month, sometimes three weeks, sometimes two months, because he was meeting with the, the, the garment manufacturers in, in the fashion district for LA. Yeah. And so he was getting the business started and I was essentially right there along the way with him. Not necessarily, I don't want to say like, oh yeah, I was there the, the early days, but yeah, yeah. obviously we, he'd come over, he was staying at my place and I would just hear the ins and outs of everything that went into planning, uh, you know, trying to find the perfect, you know, fabric, trying to make the fit perfect. And it's so funny, like how naive we both were back then and, and <laughs> what we thought we knew about things and what we know now. So I think... After about a year of doing that, I was like, dude, the business is starting to take off. I mean, when I say take off, like there was, you know, a few sales coming in every day. And I was like, it's a, 
move down here. Let's, we'll find a spot right down the street, two bedroom, get down here. And so pretty much for the past almost three and a half years, we had lived in that apartment together and I was still at movement for the whole time. And we had always talked about working together because I mean, he'd come home every night. I'd come home every night. We'd chop it up over digital marketing, over e-commerce, over Facebook strategy, you know, influencer yeah. stuff, you name it. Yeah. Um, so that's why I like to say like, while I wasn't officially employed at cuts, I was right there along with it for since the inception. Um, and I always knew I'd work there someday and he always knew that as well. But we always told ourselves if we ever do work together, we won't live together. So about halfway, or excuse me, right at the beginning of quarantine, mm-hmm. actually let's back up. The, in January of this year, we met up because we were just um, talking, we had, we had dinner and we were talking about you know cut stuff and realistically when it would be a good time that I could potentially come over. Things were getting a little bit more serious. After movement, uh, we were acquired by Movado things changed a little bit, you know, it wasn't as fun. It wasn't like the place it used to be. Plus we kind of achieved our goal. So yeah. I was ready to leave movement, yeah. but I was happy where I was. Yeah. So we were talking about, it, he's like, I think where we're at, you know, if, if we want to bring you over and, and if, to be able to afford you, it's looking like early 2021. I was like, no problem, man. That's perfect. Like I'm in a good rhythm right now. Two months go by and he calls me up and he's like, again, this is just kind of funny. Yeah. Blake did the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> he's like, actually, man, like we have this idea for a role and like, an extra part of the role that we want you to do and it could mean you starting in like a month and a half and i was like oh snap this is right when quarantine was hit um this is right when kind of furloughs were going on and i had to let go of some team members temporarily so it was just a very turbulent time sure and i was sitting there like okay um yeah man let's do it whatever and so we pretty much made it happen and i started june 1st and haven't looked back since it's been busier than ever and yeah couldn't be happier to be here because I'm, I'm back at an early stage brand i'm back at a brand that i truly love and i have a lot of ties to and i have passion for um so i'm really blessed to now have two companies that i've worked for that i literally don't feel like i'm going into work every day when i do right. you know i feel like this is it's it's never a, a drag to get up out of bed and be like oh, i gotta go to work like i'm yeah. pumped to get into the office so yeah, definitely. It's, that's you're, cool you're there on a Saturday right now. <laughs> I'm here on a Saturday. You can see the sun right now. Love it. Love it. So how would you describe what you do to someone if you're in an elevator with them? What's your what's your elevator pitch now with this new role? Oh, I'm still working on it, actually. <laughs> Maybe I can test it out right here. Yeah, yeah. So as brand director, director of brands, still trying to figure out which uh which, which one flows better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I more or less kind of oversee the entire brand image. And I know that's kind of like a, might be considered a cop-out answer, but there, there's so much that goes into brand. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little bit more than marketing because it touches product. It does touch marketing. It touches customer service, if you will. So right now, what I came on board to do was to spearhead the social program and make sure that that was growing, you know, month over month. And we were posting imagery and content consistently that aligned with the, the brand we were trying to build. Right. Um, I essentially launched the ambassador program and the influencer program because that's what I was like, you know, that's what I did very well at movements and that's what I knew I could do here. So doing that as well with a completely different approach than movements, which I can dive into if needed. And then also kind of overseeing some product stuff. We are not necessarily designing the product, but helping guide the decision on what we should be coming out with. Um, what are even down to things like price points, uh, labels logos everything that like you can see that like i'm working on a logo redesign right now it's a little secret um you know it's kind of a little evolution i think we could clean it up so anything that really touches the brand uh partnerships i did a, mm-hmm. a big collaborative collaboration with this uh guy named the shoe surgeon if you're familiar with uh, him he he designs custom sneakers and yep. so essentially really 
taking the brand voice, taking the brand image and taking what our brand is and our message, uh, which is for the sport of business, taking that and pushing that out to the world and kind of really shaping cuts. And I guess an analogy I can use to describe a brand, a company with a brand and those that aren't is a random iPhone charger you buy on Amazon. When you, when that comes in the mail, other than the fact that you're like, hell yeah, I needed a new charger. Right. Are you amped about it? Are you <laughs> like, I can't wait to tell all my friends about this charger. Right. There are some brands that do a really good job out there of doing that, like, you know, with things that you might not normally be pumped about. I mean, mm -hmm. Incase is a really famous example of like a, a laptop sleeve company, you know, who would have been the thought, who would have thought you could be excited about that. But now people are like, I love my Incase sleeve or, you know, something like that. So yeah. the brand is really what kind of, it's, it's the feeling you get when you, when you think of a company and that's all, that's all brand building. So there's a lot of things. I'm wearing a lot of hats. I'm, I'm touching on a lot of variety of different things here and I'm excited because that's what I love to do. I, I kind of get uh, excited to kind of put my, my hands into various different categories. Definitely. And, and kind of going off that, like 2020 is a year that we'll always remember, especially in the e-commerce and fashion world. But what has been the biggest focus in creating or maintaining a brand in a time like this? And then what has Cuts done differently to maintain that brand here this year? I am a firm believer, and maybe this is a little, I'm a little partial to the whole influencer component, but I'm a yeah. firm believer that commun community is what props up a brand and what makes a brand excel further than the message that we just put out, right? Further than just us posting once, twice, three times a week on social media. I'm, I'm, I, it's community through and through. And that's because if you don't have a devout member or a devout community of members and people that are proponents of your brand that are getting the package, telling their bus buddy, like, yo, you got to check out these shirts from cuts or, you know, commenting on our socials. I mean, if you look in our comments, there's people that are just so fired up that they, their, their order arrived or asking yeah. us when we're going to come out with joggers or yeah, you know, yeah. when is, when is this getting restocked or more so than other, like very few brands are able to attain that. And so that's why I'm, I'm so impressed with what, with what Steven has been able to build over here. Um, before I came on, you know, all these people, including athletes, man, professional athletes love cuts. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Love cuts. <laughs> <laughs> I got some good stories about that too, but good. you know, it's just crazy when you make a good product and you have a good brand behind it, that people really latch onto it and they'll help um, propel it. So I, I truly think, you know, at least in our case, during these tumultuous times, during this time where COVID is a thing, it's the community of people that are still going to come back and want to buy your stuff, no matter if, you know, times are a little harder right now or, you know, something like that. I mean, one more thing I'll mention on that is we were always commenting back on our Instagram. Yeah, like, you are. Yep. <laughs> so many brands you'll see, and it's not a good thing or a bad thing, I would say, but it's just a flow of like, you know, 20 comments on, on their Instagram posts and there's not one response from the brand or it's like mm. us, you know, for at least the first two to three days after a post is made, yeah. we're going to go back and hit up everyone and like, oh, hey, these will be dropping in January or hey, not right now or thanks so much, bro. Like, look, glad you love it. So yeah. little things like that, I think people love and like, it's the simplest thing to do, but it means so much to them, even when they get like a DM back or some sort of reply. I love it. I love it. And and can we talk about the NBA bubble for a second? Yeah, let's do it. Man. <laughs> all right. So Cuts Clothing was all over the NBA bubble. It seemed like every day those stars were wearing the, the brand. How did you guys come up with a, with that way to execute it? And how did you guys become the unofficial official clothing brand of the NBA bubble? <laughs> Dude, great question, man. And it's I'll, I'll be fully transparent with you and I'll tell you how we did it because it's probably not going to happen again. So I'm not worried right. about anyone stealing our secret sauce. Yeah. A bit of dumb luck, a little bit of taking advantage of the times and a little bit of already having relationships with a handful of these athletes and mm -hmm. having, I think, the brand aesthetic 
on our Instagram kind of plays into that. So the story begins, I start at, at Cuts June 1, right? And one of the first things that, you know, Stephen had wanted me to do, he's like, dude, I used to be the one in the DMs firing off stuff to these random athletes, you know, like, hey, like, got a box of cuts with your name on it. Like, let me know if, uh, if, if you want to send it over. And I, I say random athletes, but he's a big sports guy. We're all, we all love sports in here. Yeah. Um, but these are just people that, you know, athletes have a certain amount of power and a certain amount of prestige. Right. And so he just wanted to be homies with them. And he had established a pretty good amount of relationships, just mainly over messaging on Instagram. People are like, hell yeah, I'd love to try some shirts. Um, it's, it's crazy what happens when you don't ask for something in return. We were simply just wanted shirts on people's backs. We wanted shirts in the Dodgers locker room. We wanted yeah shirts you know to all the people jj watt you name it mm. but one of the first things he said to me he's like i've got too much going on now to be able to uphold some of these athlete relationships and i don't want them to fizzle out or anything like that and i was like perfect i don't know because of the amount of stuff that i'm going to be doing i won't be able to do that myself so let's bring on some athlete you know a, a kid you know fresh out of college whatnot that can help head up our athlete relations and we did just that we found this guy that he's a young kid his name is jordan silverman he's the man he um was let, let go from Wasserman, which is a big sports agency, you know, because of COVID and whatnot. And he was still looking for a place to work. Wasn't really quite sure about the opportunity we were getting into it. Cause I was interviewing and I was like, Hey man, we're just like young brand. We make the best shirts in the world. We've got this pretty solid list of athletes that love us. And you know, we need someone to really kind of take and nurture those relationships and continue to find more of those. And, you know, ultimately we're going to, this will lead to us potentially doing big deals with these guys. But right yeah. now we're in the early stage. And I think he couldn't tell if I was blowing smoke or not. You know, he's a young kid and he really wanted to work in the agency world. Mm -hmm. And he, I, we, we convinced him on the job. I think he was excited about it, but he was still a little like, Do, have I ever wanted to work for a brand? We'll see. He gets in here like the third day in, he's like, dude, all these athletes I've DM'd have all responded. And he's like super sports guy. Like yeah, 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 yeah. out when Damian Lillard replied to him, which I think anyone would. Uh, yeah, but in there. <laughs> he, it was it was validated when yeah. I think he realized like, holy crap, this brand wasn't just, you know, talking to a bunch of BS. Like they actually do have a bunch of athletes that love them. And so from there, he just like heads down. Him and I worked together and built out this essentially like a database that was able, I set it up for him where he could track the athlete, which name it was, when their last outreach, outreach message, excuse me, when their last outreach message was sent mm -hmm. um if they replied if we got their address then we can send them um a product right and like so pretty much all these things it's like a good like crm system for these athletes yeah. hey when was the last time i reached out to so-and-so oh two weeks ago like let's follow up again or when was the last person this when's the last time this person got a package two months ago hey we should send them another like nice little care package yeah but this is also around the time that the nba bubble started yep and i forget whose address one of our guys that we had a relationship with um I would say we probably had 20 to 30 athletes that liked cuts back then. Now we're in like the hundreds. Mm -hmm. One of the guys that we had a relationship with ended up sending us the NBA bubble address. And we were kind of sitting around a table and he's like, yeah, just mark it to my name. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And here's, here's the bubble address. And we were kind of talking about it and we were like, wait a minute, all these guys are here right now. It's everyone's address. <laughs> yeah. everyone. <laughs> this is everyone's address. Right. And so we kind of just looked at each other. We're like, Let's go. Like, yep. We got it. We, literally everyone. Nate, LeBron James. I don't think he ever got his, but still, like <laughs> everyone you can imagine right. probably got a package from us. But we mm -hmm. DM them too, be like, hey, brother, like got a package with your name on ahead of your way. You know, we'd, we'd give them a heads up and, and, and then they'd show up. And then all of a sudden, uh, the reason why it actually worked beyond just the fact that they're all in the same place is because 
normally NBA team flies into LA, you, you, you know, they, uh, one of the first things they probably do is, you know, go shopping, check out Melrose, you know, Abikini, whatever, and they get themselves a new outfit and they're usually shopping. They got personal stylists too, that are always styling them for the, the, the not the runway, excuse me, but the tunnel. It's basically and a runway though. It's a runway. <laughs> it's a runway. Now it absolutely is. You yes. see goat doing an advertisement on the yeah. side of the, the tunnel. Yes, exactly. So that whole part of the NBA is more and more becoming a thing like mm -hmm. as of the past two years. So that's mm -hmm. absolutely a marketing opportunity, but still only essential personnel were allowed in the bubble, right? Right. So the stylist was not considered an essential personnel. So these guys show up <laughs> in hot Florida, <laughs> in hot Florida with a suitcase, probably not with a ton of clothes. Um, and they're supposed to stay there for however many months. Right. So all of these, all of these things just started clicking. It's like same address. They don't have any personal stylist. They can't go anywhere. They probably want some nice quality t-shirts. They're in just casual Florida right now. Dude, let's blow this place up. And so we seeded a bunch to the bubble, right? Got so many packages and we made, we made contact with all these guys and they, they put them on and they loved them. And then we, we have a Getty account, right? And with that Getty photos account, we were able to just go in and see um, who got photos taken of them that day. And we could spot our shirts immediately. And so that's when we were just like, I think we probably got like over 150 pieces of content from the bubble and didn't pay a dollar. Other than, other than the, the product cost. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. So that's, that's a wild story. <laughs> it's insane, man. Actually, by the end, our packages stopped getting accepted. So oh, they're like, they're cutting you off. <laughs> the mail, the mail room was like, what is this cuts clothing like now? But that was at the very, very end. But seriously, like we took full advantage of it and made it work to our advantage. And now we've got relationships with some of the biggest NBA players in the game. I love it. I love it. So yeah. it it, it kind of seems like there's a lot of clothing brands out there. Shifting gears here just a little bit on like competition. Sure. Like they're the premium this, they're the best this, they're the essential this. How has Cuts been able to really cut through that noise of the other players mm -hmm. in the space and really be in this like league of their own that I would say? Right. I think some of it has to do with the fact that we we did start early. I did want to I don't want to say we we're maybe the I, I personally think we were probably one of the first brands doing what we do in the way we do it with the different mm -hmm. collar options, the different uh, bottom hem options. That's not to yep. say we're the first to offer a Henley that has a curved hem. Absolutely not. But to make that as a primary factor of the customer shopping journey, like this is our product. We've got our amazing Pika Pro fabric. Right. What kind of style do you want it in? And what colorway do you want it? So I think we were super early with that, uh, but we also made a couple big branding decisions early on. And that was one to never use the term basics about our clothing. We don't sell basics. Um, I think so many people see that and whether or not it devalues the brand or makes you perceive it in one way or another, who knows, but we didn't like it. We don't want to be associated with basics. And um, what we do sell are, you know, essential pieces of men's clothing, if you will, but we just don't use that in any of our marketing or branding. Sure. So I think that kind of has allowed us to elevate. I think, um, just the, the, our custom engineered fabric. We, we went in and Steven in the early days, we're on like our third rendition of it. We're on Pika Pro, but one of the first fabrics we had was Pika, uh, which is a custom blend of polyester, cotton and spandex. And people just love it. The fit of the shirt, it, it's, it's trim in all the right places. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it gets a little snug up here, but it's looser down at the waist. It's, I think people really latched onto it uh, because essentially the story for starting cuts was Steven's inability to find a nice, shirt he could wear at work uh when he first graduated college uh him and i both love to go to nordstrom's we spent too many thousands of dollars there yep. in our day and <laughs> it's if you ever had the, the moment where you find a perfect shirt maybe it's at nordstrom's and you're like i love this thing great 
you wear it for a season, gets a little beat up, whatever. And then you go back trying to find that shirt again next season. And it's not there, whether or yeah. not whoever it was from, if it was Hugo Boss or Tommy Hilfiger, I'm just making up brand names right now. But if it was any of those, it's gone. So right. he wanted a dependable shirt you could count on year after year. And something that wasn't going to go away, you can always find some of the, the original shirts that we released uh, back in 20, you know, 16 are still there on the site, just in a different color and a slightly upgraded fabric. Um, mm. So I think people love that that aspect of knowing that they can count on cuts to be their best black tea, you know, their favorite, you know, light pink tea. One of our most popular colors is mountain mist. So mm. um, that's the color name. So I think it's really just who we've been as a company. We've, we've solved a, a need that I think a lot of guys didn't know they had. We, we, we provide a great product and uh, we were some of the first to do it. And I think our marketing and our content kind of speaks to that as well. We have this internal thing that we say that we, we want world-class content. Everything we do has to be world-class. Um, so I think that really resonates with folks. And, you know, you, when you put two shirts side by side, maybe with one of, with our company and one of our copycat competitors, because there's a bunch of them out there now, had the same problem in movement. Movement was first to market, if you will. Tons of other pop-up brands or brands started popping up that were essentially copying what we were doing. And yeah. people always know what the first one to arrive, you know, they always know absolutely. that this was the, the kind of the one that laid their stake in the ground first. I I absolutely loved your comment about the basic because you're so right. Like a t-shirt is in a lot of right. brands now, a basic essential item, yeah. but right. cut shirts, it's like you could wear a suit jacket over this and, mm -hmm. and have a great absolutely. night. In the same sense, I, you know, you could work at a technology company, wear this to work and you know, everyone's like great right. shirt. Like it, it, it right. I love that. Like, it's not basic. That was, a, that's a perfect. Right. I love that. Right. Exactly. All right. So we've talked a lot about the cuts brand, but I wanted to change topics here a little bit about personal brand. A lot of business sure. influencers, I'll use your term, right. Talk yeah. about personal brand and, and people right. buy into people now rather than the brands. How have you been able to distinguish as a head of, of cuts brand between the Ethan frame brand and the cuts brand? And are there a lot of similarities in that? <laughs> oh, wow. That's a good question. How have I been able to differentiate who I am and what my personal brand is versus the cuts brand? Do you mean, do you mean that it, with regards to how do I keep them separate so that Ethan frame doesn't come through in cuts? Or do you mean just how do I just continue to think about how I'm developing my personal brand? I, yeah, we'll go both routes. Yeah. So oh, how do you, <laughs> this is a podcast with more questions, the better, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, well, I guess I can go about answering it this way. And I think that might help. I, I've always been a really creative person. I know I mentioned earlier, I like data. People have always asked me, it's like, are you right brain or left brain? I'm like, I think I'm both. I love <laughs> data, but I also yeah. really like I need, I need to flex my creative energy and muscles, which is why I was excited to come to cuts because at movement, I was doing a lot of analytical work. I, mean, I was doing some creative stuff as well, but here I'm able to really like let um, the creative side shine. But I don't know. I've always kind of just marched to the beat of my own drum uh, with regards to just my style, how I dress myself to how I, you know, post on Instagram and the, the kind of person I develop. I also, I've found that I can just, people kind of put on their, their, when they're trying to build their personal brand, especially from like the LinkedIn sense, they put on a very like, you know, buttoned up kind mm. of uh, vibe. And I don't know, that's just not me. I'm very casual. I'm very laid back. I'm very, I say things how they are. Um, I like to just I don't know, talk with transparency. So I think that's just never something I've, I've never really been too worried about how something would come off if I posted to my Instagram. That's the main thing I'm thinking of right now when we're answering the personal brand question. Totally. So, you know, my, yeah. my outward social. appearance on yeah. like social media. 
I've never been too worried about who I come off as uh, just because I know it's authentically me. You know, I don't want to have to, sure there's things you can't post on Instagram that like might live on your camera roll, but at the same time, I just haven't really worried too much about it. But um, I, does that help answer the question a little well, bit? Absolutely. I'm trying to get no, no yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I think like to your point, the authentic, it goes back to what we said earlier about influencers and the authenticity, but even like you're like, if you don't right. even consider yourself an influencer, but you still influence right. your following, whether that be 400 people, thousand people, a hundred thousand people, people right. are looking at your content. So it's how you want to build your brand. And a lot of times, right? Like, I don't know. I don't see my 2000 followers on a day-to-day basis. So right. Right. to them, this is what they're getting from Jared today. And right. you know, because I don't talk to them every single day, that's their vision of who I am in the same, in the same sense for you. Like, I think right. personal brand now is like, you know, I don't see my dad every day. So what he sees on my Instagram is like, all right, that's what Jared's up to today. <laughs> right, right, right. My mom is the same way. I mean, I used to have a, I still do have it, but I, went, I really want to get back into it. I used to vlog um, on YouTube. I had a fitness vlog that it was more so fitness related just because I told you I'm, I'm really passionate about the gym and exercise. And, you know, I was leading up to like this bodybuilding show I did, but I was so, people loved it. People hit me up all the time. Like, you know, I watched your latest vlog. It was awesome. And I was just, shooting day in the life stuff you know like yeah. here's what i'm doing like here's how here's what i'm eating today people really latched onto it stuff that i felt i took for granted is like the knowledge i have about health and fitness and nutrition uh i would say the smallest little hint about like things about an egg you know something as small as that people are like i never knew that man thank you so much and then i started to realize holy cow even the little bits of information i have that i think everyone might know or they might not think is important or useful it's actually not the case at all and i think that's I think why you people love YouTube so much is because one, they love just watching another person go about their day. But uh, that's what I'd say it was like probably me in my truest form was like me on YouTube is, you know, just how I joke, how I edited the videos. Yeah. Um, I love music. So I'd always be pairing like these things to music. Just, I was teaching myself Adobe Premiere, right? I was like learning how to do it um, while I was doing this blog and looking back at my first one. And I, I think I did up to like 55. So I made 55 vlogs wow. and, yeah, it's a lot of time. I know what you're doing with the podcast. Like, it's it's no joke. It's I, uh, I think I, I would come in on the weekends in the office and work on that. And sometimes it would take four hours, eight hours to edit a video. Um, mm-hmm. I really want to bring it back. I loved it. It was a, a very therapeutic to be able to talk to the camera and just tell people what's up, how you doing? Like, here's yeah, what yeah. I'm doing today. Like, <laughs> I fixed my car. Like, fixed this like AC vent valve in there once. Um, getting a little off topic, but essentially, it's mostly about just. I just have always been myself on, on social media and, and, and YouTube and whatnot. And maybe I'll bring it back. Maybe I'll bring back the YouTube channel. Yeah. You got to bring it back now. <laughs> I have to, I put it out there. Yes, I yeah. absolutely do. I have to I put it out there. I think I just, what I'll do is I'll hire an editor because I think I love, that's the part that takes Editing the is the, yes. And people like, I, I, I don't want to, like, I hate to say this, but like people ask me like, would well, you listen to your own podcast? And I'm like, dude, by the time, like after the interview, because I heard the whole interview, I was there. And then after mm-hmm. editing it, listening to it like through and through two or three times before it's done. I'm like, when it's published, I'm like, sure, let everyone else listen to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. I don't think but, I watched many of my vlogs after they were yeah. being edited. A few of them I was proud of, but yeah. Right. Yeah, obviously. But and then like trying to explain to the generation before us like that we like watching other people go about their day is really hard. Like I yeah. it's really hard yeah. to explain to my parents or anyone else that it's like, no, like it's really cool to see David Dobrik literally do anything and everything in four minutes and twenty seconds. Or, you know, yes. or this yes. fitness guy go to the gym. And like it's like, yes. well, should you be going to the gym? It's like, well, I'll go after, but I want to see what he did, so I'll get I can do that. Right. Right, right. 
Yeah, that's actually one thing I didn't mention when we were talking about influencers to jump back to that really quick. Yeah. I the reason why I knew fitness was going to continue to crush it for us and just in any vertical in general was because not only was I uh really passionate about it and I watched some of the early fitness YouTubers, like things like Matt Ogus and Chris Lovato. These were early, early, early days. Mm. But I've made the connection. I was like, why is fitness doing so well? And this is very early on after we kind of really noticed it. I was like, you know what? I think I know why. When you follow a fitness blogger, you essentially not only want to know like how they're exercising and how they did that workout or whatnot, but right. suddenly you want to know like, what are they eating for breakfast? Because if you're trying to be fit, you're obviously someone that cares about, you know, your parents and you want to like, be stronger and healthier and happier. What are they eating for breakfast? What does their nighttime routine look like? What do they do in the morning? Do they read any books? Like, how can I get my mental health like in the same area? So what kind of becomes a, a person that's following someone for their exercise tips or how they, you know, what their breathing looks like when they're, you know, lifting the weight. Uh, soon become something that's way more grandiose than that. It becomes something that's like, I want to know what they, this person does every day of their life. So squeeze in 10% of that is like, hey, they have really good style too. I wonder if they could make a recommendation for me. And all of a sudden they, they whip out a watch and they talk about a movement watch or they talk about a cut shirt. Yeah, They're like, yes, I'm buying it. You know, like I yeah. admire this person. I, I follow them for a reason. So fitness is much more of like a, I really want to know everything because they have provided me good advice in all areas of my life. So fashion to just kind of fit right really nicely into that definitely um, as opposed to a fashion influencer every video they do is check out these Different jeans content. check out this shirt yep check out this watch check out this shirt check out these jeans and it becomes overload great inspiration channel but when you i don't we didn't see fashion do as well as we thought we would um and movement we were like oh it's got to work we're a fashion brand fashion influencer yeah. is perfect no yeah. fitness the fitness did well the automotive guys did well the bachelor community did extremely well for us because I think, you know, girls that watch The Bachelor, all the Bachelor guys and girls were, were promoting our watches. So that was a really lucrative uh, area as well. That The Bachelor community is a business in and of itself. <laughs> it's like that thing, it's, oh my goodness. Yes, it really is. <laughs> it's it's a great TV show, but it's a better business model, I think. <laughs> it's, and over the years, it's gotten just so crazy, like how how big it's become, how truly massive it's become. And it's so funny, like, they're like, oh, they're just here for the, the views and, and to get popular. It's like, aren't you all at this point, like a little bit? <laughs> Come right. on. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm fully, re I respect yes, that because if yes. you have an idea that you want to bring into the world, then you know Bachelor is your launch pad and you really just need that to get you into the limelight and then you can provide a good message to the world and you can spread positivity, then I'm all for it. But the people that just kind of yes. want it for their 15 minutes of fame and then continue to try and milk the the brands for brand deals for brands they don't care about that I'm not too pumped on but I agree yeah I agree completely yeah. all right so what has been uh, this is a big question uh what has okay. been the biggest change in marketing that you've seen in the past five years and then I have a follow-up to that but if you had to pick one thing what's been the biggest change in the past five years oh okay I wish I had like a more uh, inspirational answer than this, but it's something that I think everyone can relate to, at least who's a marketer. It's the advent of honey, retail me not, slick deals, whatever websites you want to call those things and uh, how much they've really tormented a marketer's ability to accurately track promo code channels. So like influencer oh. marketing, if you're using promo codes, or yeah. podcasts are using promo codes to track yeah. sales. Uh, these coupon extensions like Honey and Retail Me Not have just obliterated that ability. I don't want to come out here saying that it's racketeering, but it's essentially racketeering. They, um, they 
they will host your your promo codes on their site. And so you don't know if that's Joe Rogan sending you the sale or if that's someone found that code on, they were about to check out no matter what, and then they find a Joe Rogan code and they use it. That messes up so much in, in digital marketing. It messes up a ton of like how we give credit to a show or an influencer or not, yeah. and how we decide if we need to renew with them. Yeah. Um, there is a way that you can get those codes off their site, but that's if you pay them and you give them honey, if you give honey their own code essentially that says like, you know, honey 10, honey 10 but you yeah. have to pay out a, a commission on that. Uh, oh. Because yeah. So that's been wow. one of the biggest shifts, but hopefully it changes. I think, I think selfishly, I'm going to say influencer marketing too. I mean, it's yeah. been one of the biggest things that didn't exist. What are we in 2020, 2015? It was there, but it wasn't like it was today. We were just sure. kickstarting our program at movement. So sure. um yeah, I would definitely say influencer marketing for probably all the reasons I mentioned prior. I had, but I had no idea about the honey stuff. Like that, that's oh, like, man. yeah, because like, how do you track a KPI if if right. honey's like putting in every single possible code? Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, wow, <laughs> wow. And so they're okay. like, hey, we'll take them off if you create us our own code and we get you know X percent of revenue. And we're just like, Ugh, so like, you're the so honey's the influencer now. <laughs> man not even man it's just so i'm just like this is, it feels like extortion to me well there goes my brand deal with honey but that's all right oh. <laughs> i'm just kidding, oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um but okay so follow up to that what's what do you think is the yeah, next big thing yeah yeah yeah. No, no i'm not going to what <laughs> what's going to be the next big thing in marketing over the next five years experiential in person for sure i think Everything, everyone, obviously there was a huge shift to digital, huge shift to e-commerce. And then people are like, why are you guys, why would you do a storefront? It's like, well, now that there are people, those devout fans that we have, those community members, what have you, mm. pop-up shops are now, and in, and in, in in-person stores, they're, they're going to be more than just, I'm coming in to buy that shirt from J. Crew. I give you these as an example, because they're like a traditional brand. But all these newer age brands that are, that are coming around, like such as us, we have big ideas in store for how we want to approach retail and how the things we want to do. We want, we want it to be interactive. We want it to be yeah. an experience. We want someone to feel like they're not just going to the cut store to get a shirt, but they're going to go to the cut store and have their minds blown for in whatever way, you know? So I think experiential retail and pop-ups are going to see a lot of, of a huge surge once COVID is over. Um, yeah. We're in the midst of planning some right now, but I think that's going to be absolutely huge. The way you can marry this online brand with the physical manifestation of it and what's in store, because obviously once you grow to a certain size online and people know about you, it's like, where's the next frontier? It's like, you know, obviously it's going to be the physical form um, and mm -hmm. there's going to be new ways that we can go about it. I think pairing your brand with cool things that you can do in person with your friends, family, whomever, what kind of brand you are. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of cool stuff that we're going to see here in the next two to three years once COVID has ended. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. Like I'll, I'll use an example. Glossier is the, it's a yep. Beauty, yep, beauty brand and they had a pop-up mm -hmm. in Seaport, Boston. It was like a four hutch, how, like four different houses and you went to each different house and like my mind like is just blown. Like my girlfriend is just going in to get the, the makeup that she wants and you know, right. she loved it too. But like, I'm like, right. You mean to tell me there's one of these houses that just has a giant G and it's a photo op and the, the yeah. line is down the yeah. street. It's wild. Yeah. And it's like, they're not just going to buy makeup. They're going to experience the brand. And I like yeah. that. I do. And I think once COVID's over more and more people obviously will want to get out and get you know, to travel. But to, to do something like that is definitely going to be the, the number yeah. one thing that people. 
Right. So we've been as a brand, all of all of us brands, I speak for us collectively, we've all been doing a very good job of keeping our consumers engaged during this this unfortunate quarantine lockdown period. Mm-hmm. But once this is over, people are going to be so ready to get outside and just be in the world and go shopping that why not provide them with an awesome experience from your brand in that in that format, you know? Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of cool stuff. And I, that's where a lot of my my head is focused right now, along with cuts related like brand partnerships things that i want to do with other brands and cool collaborations we have definitely coming up so mm-hmm. kind of going off that what is, what is what is the biggest goal for cuts as a brand in 2021 we want to continue to build a massive 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 community um around our mission or our mantra you could call it uh, it's for the sport of business which i can probably tie in right now essentially i mentioned earlier we're all like big fans of sports here in the office um and we wanted to carve out our own little place in the market. you said, how do you, I should have answered this in the cows cuts different. Um, how do we differentiate ourselves from not just uh, and, uh, like uh, brands that are trying to do what we're doing, but like athleisure brands, this and that, yeah. like Lululemon is a great example. They, they latched onto the yoga market, at least at first and mm-hmm. said, this is our, this is our corner. Yep. Gym shark did it with the gym. Um, all these other brands, ours, we always knew that we created wear like clothing for the modern millennial man, someone that's, um, it's versatile. It's, it can be worn, you know, when you're commuting to work, it can be worn comfortably and presentably in the boardroom. You can wear it to the night out, a date, you know, anything. And it's, it's a, it's a all encompassing t-shirt that can do it all. It looks great in any scenario and, and setting. And it can actually do all those things in a single day because of the properties we developed in the fabric, right? right? It's, it's wrinkle free. It's, it's four way stretch. It's breathable. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of identified, you know, this, this phrase that Stephen had always said, you know, it's for the sport, we're doing it for the sport, but then it became like for the sport of business, right? So for the sport of business is essentially our mantra. It's like what we're going after, the target of the market that we are like identifying as ours because it's essentially clothing for guys that are just getting after it. They're, 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 they're hustling. They're, they're, yeah. they're doing exactly what you're doing. Like, you know, whatever your business is, we tell people it doesn't have to be starting an e-commerce brand. It could be starting your own podcast. You could be a chef. You could be uh, an artist, you know, whatever your business is, you know, do it well, do it and attack it with the passion like you did a sport, you know? And so um, we feel like our garments, the clothing that we're making and the stuff that we're going to continue to come out with really kind of fits into that realm of, you know, someone that's, you know, trying their all to, to grow their, their personal brand, their, their business, whatever it is, or even if it's just, you know, they, they work a nine to five, like you can still something that you can still treat something like a for the sort of business. And that's exactly kind of where we identify. So I think building a, our community up further is going to be probably one of the biggest initiatives we have along yeah. with sustainability. Yeah. We're doing a big sustainability push right now where we don't want to be a brand that's just going to say we're sustainable. You know, we want to think of every single area that we can reduce carbon emissions um decrease the amount of waste even in tr- inside the office you know we might start you know banning these guys i think i had it because i had a, a little liquid iv in this shout out brandon cohen um <laughs> yeah so i think uh there's those are probably two of our biggest initiatives would be you know sustainability um in the clothing because fashion i'm sure you've heard is one of the more uh, biggest contributors to to pollution and, and whatnot that's going on in the world mm-hmm. and and then also building out our community and really hammering home for the sport of business to, to everyone. I love that. I love that. And then a follow-up to that, what's the biggest goal that you have for the Ethan Frame brand in 2021? Now, right now, my goal and my eyes are strictly set on this company. I swear to God, it sounds kind of lame, but you know what? 
that's really been taking up most of my thoughts. It's like, what am I going to do when mm. it cuts? What are we like? How are we? Gonna, how am I going to continue to build this? You know, so um, that's where a lot of my my energy and focus is, is going into, and I'm happy about it that way, right? Like, yeah, I I I, I would say biggest goal of mine, man. I really, I'm not going to lie. I really want to start up a YouTube channel again. Yeah, thinking about it a lot. Yes. So, uh, on a personal level, like you could say that, you could say that. Yeah, I'll go with that. All right. I love that. Awesome. Well, Ethan, this has been an absolute blast. I've had a great time doing this interview. I hope you do it as well. We do have one final question for you. And I did, I, in our, in our email correspondence, I did tell you what it was. I don't know if you remember, but we asked oh, this no, of all of our, you. we asked this of all of our guests. And so the, the last question is, if you were to write your autobiography today, what would be the title and why? Oh Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, you're gonna have to give me a second on this one. You know, you're the first person I've actually told the question beforehand to. <laughs> like, oh really? I gave, I gave you the teaser. I... <laughs> uh, well, I, no, I you're no. Email in a while. Uh, give me a minute. You'll just cut out all this nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I've always been really attracted to. I have a few words in my life that I love. Interesting. I probably would go, oh man. I really like, I'm, I'm really privy towards this world, uh, word agenesis, which means lack of creation. And the reason you might be like, that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier in the episode that I have a brother with special needs and his disability is called agenesis of the corpus callosum. Corpus callosum is the midsection of your brain. It's a neural band of fibers that connects the left and right hemisphere. The word genesis means creation. It's, you know, one of the first verse, uh, first chapters in the Bible. Right. But you put an A in front of a word, it usually negates something atypical, abnormal, whatever. So agenesis is lack of creation. And so I kind of wanted to, like, I really gravitate towards that word. Um, I don't know if it would necessarily be the best autobiography book name, but I think I could warp that into, I've always thought about writing a book, to be honest. So maybe, but I really like that word. Another one that I really like, it's one of my all-time favorite bands from back in the day. They're named May, M-A-E, and it stands for multi-sensory aesthetic experience. So <laughs> I kind of like that. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. It's it makes you think. So I would say my life is probably a multi-sensory aesthetic experience. So, After this interview, I would agree. <laughs> barring any copyright issues or anything like that, I think that'd be a really cool thing to to branch off of um but if you want a a more literal one what have other people given you oh man i've gotten i've gotten a lot i like and it's all because all the the, all the people that i have on the podcast are they're so different from one another um like my first ever guest was kinsey grant from morning brew and the business casual podcast hers was let's hers was let's get into it and then um, Brady Silverwood, he asked me what mine would be. Um, Taylor offered to the same thing. He, he got he got um, he got fumbled up. I forget what he would call his. And then one of my buddies is a swimmer at Stanford, and he's like, "I don't think I have enough brain cells to come up with with a title." And I was like, "Dude, you're literally sitting on Stanford's campus. You can't use those words." <laughs> uh, call it not enough brain cells. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
but yeah and then yeah. i've gotten like what would you call yours and, and all that so it, it's been it's been funny it's like a lot it's a great last question because everyone's like wow that was like that was a pretty like not easy interview but like you know the questions flowed and then i just boom I, they're like oh <laughs> yeah so you okay good i don't feel bad if you if you step no, no, you, all the time on this one yeah oh that's why you gave it to me beforehand because you're like you know maybe i'll give him a little yeah <laughs> A little push so, so we don't have an awkward pause no um, I, I love i'm all for the awkward pause now it usually i don't yeah. cut it out <laughs> depending <laughs> no that's perfect that's perfect i'm gonna have to go with those two then if yeah. i think of another one i might have to come back on <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll come back on maybe a year from now see if we met the goals right if we love it impacted it man i really want to give you a good one but i think those are going to have to be a multi-sensory aesthetic experience no, that was perfect. I, I like that. That was very impressive. Cool. Great answer. Cool. Great answer. Well, Ethan, thank you again so much. It's been an absolute blast. I wish you guys all the best in 2021. And I, you know, keep it up, man. It's doing, you guys are doing awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. Shoot, feel free to shoot me a message anytime on Instagram. I'm sure I'll get on your number after this and uh, yes. we can go from there. Let's do it. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Take care. Thank you for having me. So huge shout out to Ethan Frame for coming on this week's episode of the podcast. Again, probably one of my favorite interviews that I've done uh, throughout this podcast. I'll be sure to link his Instagram below. He better be starting that YouTube channel like he promised, but I'll leave links about Ethan below. Be sure to go check out Cuts Clothing. Like, like again, like if this is not an ad. Don't I'm not your uh, hundred thousand follower influencer that you listen to all the time. But if you're big on t-shirts and you feel like feeling good in t-shirts and that's all you have in your wardrobe like me go check them out the best t-shirts i own by far uh quite the crazy story about the jenner sisters and uh who would have thought that the one time instagram shut down it was like the one time we really didn't need it to as he said as he said a hundred thousand reasons not to um but Seriously, uh, great interview. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you're enjoying these episodes with such incredible individuals. I've had such a blast, and I hope you are too. Be sure to go follow us on Instagram at normalguylazyeye for clips from this week's episode and bonus content as well. And that does it for all the shameless plugs for me. I will see you guys all next Wednesday.